Welcome to Higher Potential with Indeed. Indeed's new 2022 DNI report has just gone live. It's one of the most comprehensive studies into DNI issues in Australian workplaces. Click the link in this episode's description to get your free copy. A welcoming workplace is built from the ground up with attention to diversity, inclusion, accessibility and openness. But the way many leaders and companies approach this is often full of grey areas, uncertainty and quite possibly fear. High Potential with Indeed is here to help demystify the process through the most powerful channel possible, conversations. Groundbreaking ones too. I'm your new host, Cathy Ngo, diversity, equity and inclusion changemaker and presenter. I've spent over a decade in HR, corporate affairs and communications, but I'm most passionate about pushing the boundaries relating to diversity, equity and inclusion. In this podcast series, we'll tackle the issues we face in the modern workplace, from diversity and inclusion to remote working, accessibility, fair hiring practices and more. This podcast is an initiative of Indeed.com the world's number one job site with over 250 million unique visitors every month from over 60 different countries. Before we dive in, I wish to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we are meeting today and to any Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islanders who may be listening. I pay my respects to their elders, past, present and emerging. While it's important to create a work environment free from discrimination, it's even more crucial to create an environment where people feel comfortable and confident to speak up if discrimination does occur. However, Indeed's new 2022 DNR report found that 21% of workers in Australia aren't confident their organisation would take appropriate action to discrimination. And unfortunately, that number increases to 35% for workers who don't speak English at home. With discrimination in the workplace directly impacting someone's sense of belonging and inclusivity at work, Organisations should consider how to foster an environment where complaints of discrimination are taken seriously to create a work environment where everyone can feel psychologically and physically safe to be their true selves. To help us understand how organisations can help create an environment where workers feel comfortable to openly speak up about discrimination, we have Annalise Maxwell, Head of People and Culture, at Maven Dental Group joining us today. Welcome, Annalise. Hi, thank you. Oh, thanks for joining us. Discrimination is often one of those topics where it's very much misunderstood, uh, especially in the context of the workplace. But before we dig into discrimination, it would be fantastic to hear more about the work you do at Maven Dental Group. Yeah, at Maven, we are one of um, the largest dental organisations, Trans-Tasman. So we've got around 115 practices across Australia here. And then we've also got practices located over in New Zealand. So I'm fortunate enough to head up the people and culture function um, here in Australia. So we do everything in terms of support for our practices and our network to make sure everything from that people perspective, um, right from the moment someone on boards um, to the moment that they off board. So my team look after L&D and training, support, 
obviously deal a lot with discrimination complaints if they come through is what my team deal with. Very fortunate. I have an amazing team that I'm supported by. It definitely makes coming to work all the best. <laughs> amazing. And just out of interest, what sorts of staff members are you working with? Are they like dentists, dental nurses? Yeah, we have a wide range. Dentists, obviously, we have your DAs and practice managers who are also part of the support team in our practices, um, receptionists. We also have hygienists and OHTs. We also have a support office full of people that do everything from finance, operations, marketing, IT, a wide verse of roles across our business that yeah, work in different functions of our business to make sure it continues to work and our operations team are supported across all those different functions. Talking about discrimination, what constitutes as discriminatory behaviour in your view? I think most of us are familiar with the the basics of what constitutes as discriminatory behaviour and I think that ranges from discriminating against race and colour and physical or mental disabilities, religion. But I think what people tend to probably be less familiar with when we talk about discriminatory behaviour is actions that maybe aren't as obvious and that can often sometimes be hard to prove, but discrimination against a person purely based on the characteristics in the general sense of what discriminatory behaviour is, I think it really comes down to the actions and behaviours that kind of sit behind that then support what is discrimination essentially. You mentioned about some less obvious forms of discrimination uh, in the workplace. Is there any other examples that you've seen in your experience, not just at Maven Dental, but within your career as well? Yeah, it was funny. I was actually reading an article, I think the Australian HR Institute posted the other day talking about discrimination. And one of the things that probably wasn't even obvious to me, and as I was reading it, was about the inclusivity of technology and people who are colorblind or have really low vision. There's a lot of software out there these days that actually doesn't support or it's not optimized for people who are blind or vision impaired. So that's something that wouldn't have even, I think, crossed my mind to think about the the color of text you're using. And so it actually impacts people's ability to perform in their role because they can't actually use the software to the ability that it should be used purely because of the disability that they have. So I thought that was a really interesting one. And it definitely didn't jump out at me when I read it. I thought, God, yeah, I wouldn't have even thought of that when you're looking at implementing new software. or So I think that kind of really hones in on making sure you have the right process in place when you're going through that testing phase to make sure what you're implementing actually supports and is um, able to be used by everyone in your business. So just going back to that article that you read about uh, technology and inclusion, I think I know which article you're talking about because I, <laughs> I read that one as well. It was yeah. um, fairly recent. Yeah. And um even though I feel I'm quite conscious about it, sometimes I do forget. Yep. So for example, I might post up a picture and I forget to um, add in the alt text or um, write a description about it, kind of like a reminder of recheck my own privilege and be as inclusive as possible in my everyday interactions. And I know personally, sometimes I do slip up. I do say the yep. wrong things and I still do. It's also a reminder to our leaders and to everyone that, hey, no one's perfect. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think you could get your own privilege and I think everyone is probably done that at some point or another, remembering and taking a step back. Discrimination often presents itself first in the hiring process, preventing marginalised individuals from entering a new workplace. How can employers correct for these internal biases? I think it definitely starts with just having 
the right selection criteria and process in place and someone who can manage that process that is equipped to review and select candidates and making sure it really is based on the needs of the role, having the right information for you to make those decisions. And I think asking selection questions that are irrelevant to the role is where that internal bias starts to present itself. So having a really clear process in place, I think is really important. Um, I think we can all sit back and go, yeah, we really want to be part of an organisation that can pride itself on having the right values in place and robust and effective recruitment processes that promote diversity and equality during the hiring process. Recently, I was just reading one of the Closing the Gaps reports, which is an annual report. It kind of outlines targets set by the government to close the gap in Indigenous and disadvantaged. And the report outlines different areas at school and health. And one of the areas under employment showed that the rate was 49% compared to 75% for unemployment for non-Indigenous Australians. So I think the data in itself just shows that there is still quite a long way to go as employers in order to prevent those internal biases from coming up. And also making sure that in that hiring process, we're doing what we need to do in order to fill the role with the right candidate rather than looking at different aspects that may not even be relevant to the role that they're performing. So how do you correct that? There's so many ways you can combat, I think, having a really robust diversity and inclusion strategy that actually supports and identifies how you reduce those discrimination aspects during the hiring process and setting clear goals and targets that can actually make sure it leads to... um, having clear accountability and how you intend to actually measure your successes. And I've seen a number of DNI strategies that focus on advertising across broader range of publications and so that you're actually creating a diverse range of candidates and you're being proactive about doing that. I think it is, it's about being proactive and it's about being committed to make that change and making sure that you have the right targets and measures in place. Because I think ultimately that's really what's going to set an organisation apart from others and, and how they go about mending that gap. Speaking about targets, it can be quite a contentious topic for um, some employers. It sounds as though you are in support of targets. Is that right? Yeah, I think it's important. And I think it does vary on the organisation industry that you're in in terms of what that looks like. I was talking to um, a friend last night who works in the disability sector. They've got very clear targets around who and how many they need to employ um, who have a disability because it's part of their DNI strategy and they need to have an, a known or an associated disability. And I think that's great because it supports the values of what your organisation is about. So I think it definitely comes down to those targets should be aligned to your organisation, aligned to the type of industry, and then obviously dependent on what those roles look like. Yeah, I really like this conversation with your friend that they hire uh, people with that lived experience uh, because then there's that degree of empathy and what your patients uh, are going through and you can empathise with that. So what are some of the most common forms of discrimination perpetuated by employees to other employees? The most common form of discrimination that we see perpetuated in the workplace is discrimination that people, I think, don't even recognise themselves and that often between employees. I think there's um, a fine line of having a culture of fun and joking and having a good workplace versus having a culture where it's inappropriate and offensive jokes targeted towards a particular um, characteristic or group of people and that might be centred around race or culture or gender and I think often they're the most damaging and working in the HR space we see that all the time Um, it's something you see often when complaints come through is go through an investigation process and you start to get a sense of what the culture and behaviours are like and that people kind of say, well, it's acceptable because it was considered a joke and everyone does it and it perpetuates that behaviour as a culture within your organisation. So 
I think it's just because everyone does it or someone said that as a joke doesn't mean that it's not discrimination and doesn't mean that it's not offensive. That's often where people don't even realise the kind of behaviours and culture they create by doing that. I agree with you. I've worked in HR and I've done a lot of case management and I've just read so many interesting uh, scenarios where people have slipped up, misconduct. And what I found is that misconduct doesn't discriminate. What do you think is key to recognising forms of discrimination and kind of rectifying that as proactively as possible? I think it's about having the right processes in place. You know, you touched on it earlier, having a DNI strategy is great, but it's like how that's then driven down into your business. It's all well and good to have the policies in place, but I think making sure that you have a culture where people feel safe to speak up and they know where to go and they know what behaviours are acceptable and how that mirrors against your values of your organisation. I think that's really important because people view how others behave and if they can see that something is acceptable, then why would it not be acceptable for them to do it? And I think that is what then creates sometimes those kind of toxic cultures without even realising, I think, that sometimes it's happened. Other than having all those policies uh, in place, is there any other measures that you would recommend? I mean, I'm really big on, for me, I think having the basics is great and I think having, you know, your right policies and processes in place is really important because it's what you need to refer back to. But I like the idea of having diversity and inclusion champions and I think having those at different levels across your organisation, one, it gives people... um, you know, that sense of pride, what they're a part of, but it makes everyone feel like they do have a role to play in creating that safe workplace. And it, I think, does encourage more people to speak up if there's more people who are more proactive about identifying behaviour that's not right and making sure that then there's that support for those people through that process when someone does speak up as a role of a diversity and inclusion champion. It just is proactive, I think, to make sure that you have the policies in place, but it's about how you continue to make sure you're living and breathing and bringing those to life. Ultimately, it just comes down to the how, ensuring your team members are educated, make sure they're aware of how do they identify what discrimination looks like in the workplace um, and making sure they can identify the less common ones that we talked about at the start. Have you got the right L&D initiatives in place to support better outcomes for your people? Have a safe place for people to go to speak up that isn't just their leader, having other avenues that are available to them. And it may even be an external avenue that's anonymous so they don't feel there may be reprised if they come forward. Just really encouraging that culture of having a psychological safe environment for your people and really making sure you're championing what diversity inclusion looks like for your business. So we've talked about what discrimination looks like or can look like, especially ones that aren't as obvious. But what about encouraging employees to speak up about it? Because it doesn't help if they keep quiet about it. You also touched on psychological safety, which is so important. Is there anything else that we need workplaces to have in order to encourage employees to speak up? I think that it is that psychological safe workplace. It's about creating a culture of trust with your people. And I think that's at all levels of your organisation. It's whether the CEO or you're a junior trainee, it starts at all levels and it should be replicated because, you know, the behaviour that you walk past is the behaviour you accept. If they see someone else doing that, they're more likely to do it as well. So everyone has a role to play. I don't think it sits with just one person to be able to do that or to be able to create that. Yes, if you don't have the right processes in place or the people in place to effectively manage those concerns when they come through, if grievances or issues just go unmanaged and poor behaviour is rectified, that's when it doesn't foster the right culture. 
And I think it gives the wrong message for how people should speak up because they say nothing's changing or that they see it just continues to happen. So I think that immediately creates those barriers between you and your people, which really shouldn't be there. So a policy or an anonymous email is great, but it's making sure that you're continually rectifying issues as they come up and people can see that you're constantly trying to make those changes. What are some practical methods employers can implement to create a safe space uh, for behaviour to be called out? We know that there needs to be a safe space, but what does it look like? My biggest one, as I said before, the DNI champions. I really like that idea. And I think it depends on your organization. For having a distributed network, if you're a part of an organization that isn't just in one spot and you're located internationally or nationally, it gives a sense of having someone in each of those areas that kind of can do that. Um, I think it's about having an understanding of your workforce, recognizing important dates for the people who are in your organization and they may be having different, you know, religious beliefs or different races, but being accommodating to what that looks like during Ramadan, you may provide flexibility for those who are fasting so that they can leave earlier and break fast with their families. Having that a policy that allows that flexibility and being able to support different areas of people's beliefs and religion is really important. And I think really then hones in on how your organisation supports diversity and inclusion because you're making sure you do that for the people who are in your organisation as well. So in terms of managing grievances and all that, is what would you recommend, I guess, for the leaders? Like, do you think that they need extra training on how to manage the process or should the process be purely managed by HR? What's your thoughts on that? <laughs> leaders absolutely should have training to understand how to be that first point of call for a grievance. And generally they are the first person that someone goes to when they have a concern. I think the first thing is understanding when someone has come to you, knowing what that next step is. Sometimes people often take it as someone's just come and made a complaint and it's fine and it'll all be okay. And sometimes that's not the case. So I think it's knowing when you need to escalate and that comes with education. It comes with learning. It comes with training. I think making sure that Leaders understand the importance of confidentiality, but in those kinds of processes, it takes a lot for someone to come forward. And sometimes that can be a really big step for someone to go speak to their leader about an issue they're having or the way they're being treated. You don't want your whole workforce to find that out. So I absolutely think leaders need to make sure they understand and respect the confidentiality process for people going through a grievance like that. And just making sure they're aware of what their role is in the process. And each organisation manages it differently and tends to, depends on how involved they want leaders to be in that process, if they conduct interviews or if they're part of the investigation or not. Sometimes it's hard for them to be involved and then separate themselves back as their leader and kind of have those two different roles. But I think it also just depends on the type of workforce that you have. But um, definitely leaders need to be educated on how to manage and deal with them, but also what comes after it, because you've done an investigation, you've done outcomes, you know, you may adopt um, different recommendations that have um, been put in place. But sometimes I think leaders find it hard to kind of move forward from those types of grievances. And, you know, particularly someone remains in the workplace, people then feel like, oh, I'm being treated differently because I came forward. So it's really making sure you have that right balance and that leaders understand how they do that and do it effectively. Sometimes people feel a bit awkward. Oh, does yeah. this person hate me now? Or they, yeah. Gonna, yeah, like you said, treat them differently. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, there's yeah. a bit of that fear uh, lingering around. So it goes back to creating that safe space, safe environment for, sure. for people to to be comfortable in sharing anything, big or small. I'm curious to know, especially for our, our listeners, what happens if 
leaders hear of this discrimination, but they think, oh, so-and-so is making a big deal out of it. I don't think it's discrimination. I'm just going to let it slide. What's the risk or consequence of not investigating? I mean, my first piece of advice would be just if you have a HR team is to reach out and seek for guidance if you're not sure if someone's come to you. But the risks these days for organisations is sit so far out of just having, you know, an impact on your brand. These are actually impacting on people's lives. I think sometimes we forget someone might come to me and have, you know, a grievance or they're not happy with something. And whilst I may not react the way they've reacted, that it doesn't mean they're right or wrong. And sometimes it's being able to take a step back and remove yourself from that. There's so many at the moment going through the Fair Work Commission or the Australian Human Rights Commission, so many different complaints around discrimination or sex discrimination and harassment that I think so far exceeded what we've probably seen before in the past. But I think things coming out like the Me Too movement and so much more coming from social media has allowed people to have more of a voice. And I think it's allowed people to feel comfortable. If they don't get an answer from someone in their organisation or don't feel like something's resolved, they're going to go external straight away. Whether you don't even see it as a big issue, making sure that result, you you give someone an outcome, whether or not it's formal or informal, making sure that their complaints have been dealt with because it just minimises that risk that someone's going to go making complaint. You know, no one wants to be part of one of those. They're not a nice process to be a part of for anyone involved. And it's definitely something I think organisations absolutely want to try and avoid. So what you mentioned about the the whole Fair Work Commission and there's more complaints, that doesn't surprise me at all because I indeed did a study this year. So in our 2022 d report, uh, 21% of workers in Australia aren't confident their organisation would take appropriate action. And if the organisation isn't doing anything, then it's like, oh, well, I'm going to take it external because I'm, I'm not getting the outcome that I want. So Yeah, which is a bit sad. Like I mm. think... 21% doesn't sound like a lot, but when you think of the population, like that's a lot of people that don't feel comfortable speaking to someone in their organisation. And that's not, I'm assuming, just your leader, right? There's one-up leaders, there's HR, like there's a lot of different avenues I'm sure people have to not feel comfortable. So the final question, which we always finish every episode of High Potential with Indeed is, what will it ultimately take to ensure a better and more inclusive workplace in the future? I think definitely education and I think acknowledgement. There's a great opportunity for people to look at the gap in diversity and inclusion and understand what they can do to support that. And it doesn't need to be huge change all the time. I think it's about taking some of those small steps. And as I said, there's still a huge gap between um, Indigenous and non-Indigenous Australians that extend even beyond the workplace. But I think it's about educating yourself on you know, what it is you can do as an individual or what your workplace can do to contribute to that. Organisations should commit to implementing a DNI strategy that's achievable and that's measurable, that holds them to account and make sure that's supported by your senior management and make sure that links back to your company values and your purpose, because I think that's really what's going to drive a lot of that change. If you don't, if you're just trying to do change, I think without having something supporting it, it's probably not going to get the buy-in that you need. Definitely making sure you have a good DNI strategy is really important. But I think just educate. There's so much out there now that you can get your hands on and understand and read more into. And I know over the years I've definitely done that. I was probably a little naive to a lot of what diversity inclusion issues existed when I first came into HR. And it's been a really good step for me to be able to understand that further. So yeah, I definitely think education and acknowledgement. 
Amazing. Great advice. So education, having a policy uh, that aligns to your values and having that leadership buy-in. So, so important leadership buy-in. Thank you so much, Annalise. Thank you. It's been an amazing discussion and you've also reminded me I need to book in a dentist appointment too. (laughs) (laughs) Same in dental. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for your time. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Higher Potential with Indeed. Before you go and start building a better workplace, don't forget to hit subscribe and leave a review if you found this podcast helpful. If you'd like to read our full DNI report, click the link in this episode's description and fill out the form. Just a quick note, the views and opinions expressed in this episode by the guests do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Indeed. Additionally, the information in this episode does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all content we discuss is for general informational purposes only, and you should consult with a legal professional for any legal issues you may be experiencing.